Hello, and welcome to episode two of How the Story Got Made. I'm Jade Curian, president and co-founder of Latitude. And I'm Paul Adrian, CEO and co-founder of Latitude. Thanks so much for joining us for this live Latitude event. We launched this series because we spent many years as reporters in the field and know that the best stories are often the ones about how the story came together, the behind the scenes action you never get to see on TV how you got the story idea, how you landed that big interview, how you captured the perfect shot, how you handled the situation when things did not go quite as planned. And That's right. With all of us glued to our TVs right now, watching the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, well, we thought this is the perfect time to focus on the journalists covering one of the largest events in the world. Uh, of course, a pandemic, a postponement, and now strict COVID protocols in place. Joining us to talk about that and their incredible experiences are three of the six Star journalists who covered the last Olympics together, the Winter Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Lex Gray, Aaron Nolan, and Aaron Corgal. Welcome. And here's a quick introduction. Aaron Nolan has been the breaking news anchor for News Nation. He's covered two back-to-back -back Olympic Games, Rio and Pyeongchang. Both assignments came during his time as morning anchor with the NBC station in Little Rock, Arkansas, K-A-R-K. Lex Gray is a morning anchor and reporter for Wavy Television in Norfolk, Virginia. And Aaron Cargyle, who is now part of our team here at Latiku, covered the games during her 13-year stint as an investigative reporter and anchor at Austin's NBC station, KXAN. Before we jump into our conversation, here's a quick look at some of their work at the Olympics. I'm going to be gone for an entire month. I have to dress for temperatures that are below freezing. And this Texas girl's had to buy a lot of extra winter gear. We're getting geared up for the Olympics a couple of days away, working on stories all day today, all day tomorrow. First live shots start on Thursday. Sean White came to the 2018 Winter Olympics as a man on a mission. Aaron Hamlin raced for the last time just a few hours ago here in Pyeongchang. It's been called one of the world's most dangerous places. Welcome to the DMZ. I'm Lex Gray. What an exciting day of ice dancing competition here in Pyeongchang, South Korea. There are not one, not two, but three U.S. teams in position to potentially win a medal. So this is me trying a kimchi tuna raw kimchi and raw tuna on a seaweed crispy thin so we thought we would show you around so you can see kind of where we live and what our daily routine is here in pyeongchang um, just cranking out um different stories here at the olympics uh, exhaustion wearing in now that's got to bring back some memories aaron nolan <laughs> let's start with you because having attended two of these games you're the most yeah. in our group and i'm wondering how does it even start? How do you get selected for a job like this? Well, Paul, I uh, first off, thank you for uh, for letting me jump on board with Latiku, uh, such an important tool that journalists use all around the country, and we had to. It was vital for us, so thank you. Uh, I remember it very vividly. Uh, I got a call. I was picking up my kids from daycare, and I got a call from one of the executives at Nextstar. He said, "Look, it. How'd you like to go to the Olympics?" I'm like, are you, is this a joke? What are you kidding me? And I, I sat in the parking spot before I got my girls, just pondering, 
is this real? Can I do this? One, it's a long time away from the girls, too, but it really is out of the blue. It was, uh, I want to say luck of the draw, but it was, I think it was the ability that, that I have of shooting and editing and, and being able to be on TV and report as well. Um, but it was really out of the blue. I had no warnings. I didn't put my name in a hat. It was, they called me. I said yes. And uh, I, I said yes two more times. Unfortunately, I couldn't go to Tokyo because of a job change. Um, but I continued to say yes until they said no more. That's great. And Aaron and Lex, how about uh, the two of you? What was like that like when you got that call? Yeah, you go first, Lex. Um, well, I thought I was going to be fired or something because I got an email <laughs> saying that. Uh, it was from my news director, looped in with the GM, and he said, we, Carol and I want to have a meeting with you. Don't worry, it's nothing bad. But like, I was like, I'm getting fired or someone's getting fired. <laughs> this is, you don't often have meetings with both your boss and your boss's boss. Uh, so I had no idea what was going on. Unfortunately, it happened like early the next morning. So the stress was short lived. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to go and like Aaron Nolan, I was blown away because it was totally out of the blue. This was not announced. Um, I, I did remember three weeks prior, they had floated the idea of like, next door is going to be sending some people to the Olympics, but I didn't think that our station was in the running. I figured it would be sports people. It didn't really even like trip my trigger. Um, but then they said, you know, we were going next door said we could send someone we were going through our options. Um, they like people, they generally like to send anchors because that gets a lot of audience engagement. Um, and then on top of that, I had actually lived in South Korea for a year teaching English right after college. So they thought that also would make me a good fit. I had, um, I had been a multimedia journalist before shooting and editing my own video. And so I had to relearn how to do that. But once you have kind of those base skills, usually you can pick it up again. Yeah, similar, similar situation. I got a phone call. I think I had worked the night side shift the night before and one of the executives was in town. They were looking for someone else to add to the Pyeongchang team. And my news director called me and said, how would you like to go to the Olympics? Of course, I yeah, thought thought it was a joke, and and he just said, you know, the requirement is that you relearn how to how to shoot and edit, which I hadn't done since my first job, many many years prior. And of course, I said, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever I need to do to make it happen. Um, and so it was it was super exciting. And then of course the next round, I didn't know, am I going to get selected for the Tokyo team again? I know we're going to talk about that a little bit in the in the future, but that was a little more uh, exciting of a of an announcement or a question to ask if I was going to be on the team because my news director, I was anchoring one of the shows, and he got in my ear and my IFB and played the Olympics song, the Olympic themed <laughs> song, and. Uh, yeah, he had told the other anchor to stay in the studio. He had something to ask me or he wanted me to hear something over, over, the, uh, over the air. And, and so that was a, a really exciting and thrilling moment. It's terrific to live that with all of you, you know, getting the call. How did that happen? So thank you. You clearly don't just show up at the Olympics ready to report. There's a lot of pre preparation and training that goes into it, including a series of reports your team worked on leading up to the games. Becoming an Olympian was a journey. It was a, almost a, like a life purpose. This is Allison Baver. Her quest for Olympic glory began with a non-Olympic sport. The steady pulse of a sewing machine has long sparked a creative gene in Susan Hubble. She used to try and dress me in like ridiculous things, big 
dresses with 15 ruffles. Hi, I'm Ron Isbell. One of the biggest Olympic fans you'll ever meet. This is Izzy, the mascot. Wore the underdogs of Team USA defeated Russia and went on to win the gold. This year, just like in 80, college players will represent the U.S. on the ice. So that was a video of Olympic hopefuls in mm -hmm. these different cities that Aaron likes and Aaron were in, and they were covering the stories about those hopefuls. Wow, and, and I guess, you know, as you're, as you're preparing to go and, and, and cover these games, Aaron, I know you don't just go and show up, but you gotta work, you know, a long time in advance. Um, and so I'm wondering how, how far out did that prep start? But let me also give you a more focused question to go along with that a related, more focused question, which is you're an investigative reporter and an anchor, you know, and I know Lex and Aaron, both anchors, you're at a point in your career, I'm guessing where you're not doing a lot of shooting video yourself, editing video yourself, um, doing all that, putting together the stories, the mechanical sort of technological stuff that goes in creating a story. So, I heard each of you say that that was part of the ask is that you be a multimedia journalist, uh, one man band, we used to call them. And I'm wondering, A, you know, kind of why was that the ask? And B, how do you prepare for that? How do you get ready to not only be the person looking good on the air, mm -hmm. but the person who also prepared all the material that you're going to be talking about during your on air presence? Yeah, so it's a lot. So as soon as you say, or me personally said, yes, I'll go to the Olympics, I'll do anything I can, you turn around five minutes later and you say, what did I just say yes to? Because it's a huge challenge. Uh, you've got to be at the top of your game once you get to the Olympic Games. And that means putting out the best stories uh, that anyone anyone could ask for and not having shot and edited in, in years. And so it is overwhelming and there's so much preparation, not just to, you know, essentially relearn how to shoot and edit, but how to shoot and edit on the gear using an editing software that you've never used before. So that, that, that's a, a big part of, of the learning curve. Uh, and then the preparation of just the logistics of, of what life is going to look like over there and, and the, the amount of live shots we're going to be doing. And we're on a different, uh, time zone uh, as well, getting to know the other team members. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about the Next Star team that goes over there is there is not an IT person. There is not a, a technical person to help when equipment breaks. I know, uh, you know, in full disclosure, we have asked for, for that person in the past, but I think they want to maximize the people uh, that they put over there to be able to do it all. Uh, and it is a lot of pressure. And so I think, and Aaron and Lex, correct me, I think we started meeting in person as a team at least six months out where we would travel to a location, meet up at a Nexstar station in a conference room and start hashing out everything. Um, and then those stories that we just showed you that we did leading up to the games, they were great content for, for viewers to get them excited about the Olympics. And they also at the same time helped us shoot, edit, and, and upload to Latiku and make sure that we could do everything necessary that we were then going to be doing in South Korea. Sure. Was it six yeah, months out? Gear in September. So it was kind of a quick learning curve to learn how to to shoot and edit again. But one thing that's great is that every year in the business, the technology gets easier, smaller, better, faster. So with, you know, with Latiku being a part of that, making it really easy to send and share the video quickly, 
you saw the picture of Aaron with the massive tripod and the camera. And now those are probably, I mean, even just three years later, each of those is probably half the size that they were. So all of those elements keep getting simplified and keep getting a little bit easier. I know a, a tripod is similar to a ship's anchor, right? Yes. <laughs> Not light. <laughs> so trust me, I, I complained over and over again. Give us smaller <laughs> things, please. Yeah. Cell phones, right? We want cell phones now. Well, well, unless you're Aaron Cargill and you lose your cell phone in the middle yeah. of Korea. That is a tr- that is a true story. That is a true story. And they actually <laughs> ship the tripods over ahead of time uh, because the what's another interesting thing is our small cameras go in a hard case that's our carry-on uh, and then our editing laptops go in our backpack so we have to be um, able to pack it all in a in small containers essentially the tripods go on a ship ahead of time and they're there when we get there along with an extra set of gear in case somebody's equipment breaks and you guys probably didn't have to worry about customs and such right because you were probably going through as you know olympics coverage reporters no, there were there were plenty of customs problems. We were oh, concerned really? about some of the stuff. Um, Lex, where was it? Was it in um, before we left for Korea that we yes. had to wait at custom for uh, a while? Maybe LA, something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember being in in like the consulate or something like that, but like a couple of weeks beforehand, and it was um, it was I think it was called a manifest or something mm-hmm. like yeah, that. Yeah, we didn't know mm-hmm. if we had that piece of paper. Yeah, for all of your equipment. So all of it had to be checked, taken out. You had to show them exactly what was what. It had to be labeled very specifically. So it was actually a pretty big process to get everything over there. Yeah, everything you took. Yeah, I just assumed that maybe you got some special clearance for this because I remember as a reporter traveling and having to sit in customs and wait in different countries, wait for hours to get cleared. So yeah, that's interesting that you guys still had to go through that. Same thing, yeah. 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 So you obviously have to be ready for anything, right? When you do this working on the Olympics. And here's a picture of um, Matt Barnsey, who is (laughs) tweeted this out from the current Olympics that he's covering for uh, Next Star in Tokyo, sitting in a hallway with editing laptops out. Um, And he said, Matt said, uh, that the work never ends. You guys also did a good job of documenting what life was like behind the scenes. So let's take a look. The single digits, if not the low teens, as we're getting geared up for the Olympics a couple of days away. Uh-oh, 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 oh no! Good morning from South Korea. Aaron and I are just getting our day started from our apartment. So we have a living space, which we really don't live in at all, because um, as you can see, we're about to get out the door. This is our kind of uh, ground central, our office. Where we work, kind of see behind me a lot of different journalists from all across the country. So that's our newsroom. That's what an Olympic newsroom looks like. Caught in the uh, office all day today, editing. Um, It's late here. Okay, so you're asking about interesting food. So, Cheryl, that's the weirdest thing right now is a kimchi, tuna, seaweed crunchy thing. Uh, this is Sahurang. This is for my youngest daughter. This is the official mascot of the Pyeongchang Olympics. Okay, Aaron, I love kimchi. It does not look like you love kimchi. So. I was not a fan. Well, we 
not seen in that piece, uh, Lex, Aaron, and I went into um, the the. I don't even know what it was at the Olympics. It was where all the food was being served and they wanted to buy everything that they had to eat there. And the kimchi there was like Burger King kimchi. And it was not very good. And the fish cakes were even worse. But as you can tell from that story, and, and yes, the surf did hit me in negative degree temperatures on the banks of South Korea. Uh, I'm the idiot of the group. And I try to tell people I'm really not an idiot in real life. I just play one on TV. <laughs> so, but you are a dad. And I am. You have two daughters. I've seen video here and there on Twitter of your beautiful girls. Um, talk about those long days for us, away from your family, away from your girls. What did you do to stay connected? Well, FaceTime was uh, a saving grace, uh, 14 hours difference, the same as what journalists are dealing with right now in Tokyo. Uh, it's the exact same time frame um, from where I am here. And so I had this bracelet that you can see on the screen made. Uh, it's a leather bracelet that has a brass uh, plate on it. Both of my daughter's names are on that. And I only wear it when I'm at the Olympics. I'd never wear it any other place. I still have it. But I, I created that. And, and I took a picture with Allison Felix uh, at, in Rio, who she's going to be running in Tokyo here in a few days, uh, and told them the story, Lester Holt. I took a picture with him. Uh, but it was a way to keep my girls close to me. Uh, and then when I talk to them, you know, and later in life, I, I have all these pictures to show to them so that they can take the kindergarten or wherever they're going. Um, but again, that bracelet was special, but it all comes down to FaceTime. And I know Lex and Aaron both have um, have little kids now. And it is a it is a different world to know that my I don't know how old Lily was at the time, but in Pyeongchang, she started walking while I was gone and taking her first steps. And, and I remember getting home and watching her walk into my arms was, was something pretty special. It chills. You know, yeah. the Olympics are all about these events that change the world because some record is being broken, right? And here at home, we get to watch them. And I'm wondering there, you know, at the games, how often do you get to see the actual event occur? Not much. <laughs> uh, you spend a lot of your time uh, in that room that Aaron showed, the Olympic newsroom, a lot, a lot of time on the bus and walking around. Um, I think I went to, that was the only event that hockey game I saw in full, which was really cool. And then I think Aaron, E-I-E-R-I-N, Aaron and I uh, caught maybe like, a couple minutes of two other events. Yep. I think curling and then right there, ski jumping. Yeah, the, the hockey game was this gold medal women's hockey game that was right next to the spot where we were doing live shots. And it, the timing was perfect where we could all finally go to something and, and clearly see that epic uh, historical moment together, which was really neat. And then we, this was getting toward the end of the Olympic games and Lex and I said, we really need to try to make one more event. And we got on the bus and went out there to that, to that ski jump event, which was really cool and took a ton of pictures. Uh, as well. But yeah, we're in the workspace where there's a TV set up and it's a live feed uh, of the events in real time. And most of the time we're sitting there watching it on the TV as we're cranking out packages, uh, editing, planning, planning the future uh, stories on calls with our producer back in the States who's uh, helping, you know, guide the coverage. 
Hey, Aaron and Lex, real quick. I, I don't know about you guys, but do you see these pictures and get kind of emotional? Uh, like, yes. I miss it badly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. another year soon. Right? So Three years Lex, in Paris. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Lex, um, while in South Korea, you got one of the more impactful assignments. You traveled to the DMZ, the Korean demilitarized zone that serves as a buffer between North and South Korea. Um, we want to get your thoughts about that day. But first, we're going to play a clip from that coverage. It's been called one of the world's most dangerous places. Welcome to the DMZ. I'm Lex Gray. And on your side goes deep into Korea's demilitarized zone with a unique look at the other side of the world. Welcome back to the DMZ. I'm Lex Gray. We've moved locations. Right behind me, you can see the propaganda village. That's where you see that large pole. That is actually a North Korean flag. It is 31 meters long. It weighs 600 pounds. It has to be taken down in any kind of inclement weather because otherwise it will uh, just drag itself down, really. Um, they call it the propaganda village because there's a really loud speaker system that they use to pipe propaganda over that village, hence the name. Next up, our next stop is going to be the Bridge of No Return. So Jade queued this one up, Lex, tell us, what was that day like? So that was a very interesting day. That was, again, uh, I think something like a, uh, definitely a three plus, probably four hour bus ride to get there. It was my 30th birthday, so what a way to spend that. <laughs> um, and we... I mean, you don't necessarily know the the length that they go to keep people safe when they're in there. So for example, we were supposed to have three stops. We only made two of those stops and it wasn't until we were out of there that they said there was a security risk. So we just kept going, but they don't tell you that while they're there. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a very interesting place to see really barren and, and looking over is just, an entirely different world. Um, but the reason that I was chosen for that assignment was because I am in a, I'm in Norfolk, Virginia, which is a big Navy town. Hampton Roads, this region overall is huge for military. So we knew that my market of all of them would have a, you know, a vested in interest in that because of probably the number of Korean War veterans who would be in this area. Yeah, I think- so Were you able to take one more member of our team who helped shoot? You were yes, there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Boys as well. But I, I think unlike Andrew, I continued my coverage of it well after I got back. So I think for a couple months after I got back, I spoke to, you know, someone who had served in Korea, um, a woman who was from Korea and now lived here and eventually did a story about um, a local woman whose brother's remains are still in North Korea. So let's turn to Tokyo. You could have all three been there, but <laughs> COVID and career changes happened. Um, this is a photo of the whole group uh, from Nextstar that was set to go, correct? Um, Candy and Maria Elena are there as well. Erin, um, you know them well, and as does Erin and Lex, I, I suppose. Um, how do you compare your experience with the reporters who are there now? I mean, is it possible for you to compare just watching them? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, there's similar similarities, but a whole lot of differences. The next photo on the slide is is two of the current Nextstar team members. That picture, the one we took of the whole team of the original team, seems like a lifetime away. It's, mm -hmm. It seems like a long time ago. Those are two of the current team members. Yeah, what were you going to say, Aaron? Uh, you've been following a lot of the yeah. 
Yeah, I'm covering right now a lot of what they're doing uh, in Tokyo for News Nation, um, my news station. And I, it, it's really not comparable. I mean, they went through two straight weeks of, of having to spit in a cup to be tested for COVID until they could even walk around. Uh, Lex and Aaron and myself, while we were in Pyeongchang, you know, we did a lot of exploring. We were really close, the three of us. And they didn't get to do any of that. They didn't get to walk around and they didn't get to experience it. They're not being able to get to the athletes and tell the stories of, uh, you know, family members because family members aren't there. So it's, it's hard to compare the two. Um, I will say that I'm jealous uh, and I've told my wife that uh, and I, I won't shy away from that. Um, the Olympics is a big part of, of who I've become as a journalist and I adore it. Um, but those guys have a set of circumstances that, that, maybe the toughest set of circumstances the journalists have had to endure at least for a three and a half week assignment. Yeah, I've been um, texting back and forth with Maria Elena not much, obviously, because she's busy. And I do think that it's when you compare the Olympics, like Aaron was in Rio and he talked about how that was much more grueling, I think, than Pyeongchang because mm -hmm. Pyeongchang was much quieter. And so it was a little bit, I mean, even... Still, we spent hours on buses, but it sounded like Rio, by comparison, was even more intense. You had to go something like an hour and a half to get food. We did not have that situation. Um, so while I think it's, you know, much quieter for them and probably less exciting, it's probably not as grueling as, for example, a Rio. And I think we had that in Pyeongchang as well. It was a, like a little bit cushier for us than something like a Rio Olympics. Well, let I don't, it's not it's not cushy yeah let's yeah well, <laughs> some air quotes on that cushier yeah. <laughs> so Aaron, knowing what you know uh, about what they're enduring all, all three of you do you still wish you were there no <laughs> <laughs> well and and when we can back up a little because i think i made the right call the reason that i personally am not in tokyo right now is because so Aaron, Nolan, and I were set to go Tokyo 2020, and then we were in Colorado Springs with the Next Star team about to start interviewing some athletes and really hitting the ground hard, and they closed down the training facility. Uh, the pandemic hits the U.S. hard, and, and there's a big question mark, and then the, the games are postponed. So I'm 38 years old. I you know, already thought when I get back from Tokyo, I'm going to start you know, trying to have a baby and that postponement. And there was a big question mark about 2021 even happening. And I thought I'm not getting any younger. I needed to not base my whole life around this Olympic experience and was very lucky, got pregnant and doing the math knew that I would have a seven month old baby when 2021 Tokyo hit. And so I, I knew that I wasn't, um, I didn't want to be away or leave my husband with uh, with this young baby by himself during that time. And so I had to make the tough call to let somebody else go. And, and luckily I, I wanted to give that experience to someone else and someone from my very own station, you know, got to, got to go. And now she's experiencing that and uh, doing an, an incredible job. So there's parts of it I miss, but I was changing a diaper the other day and I thought there's nowhere else I'd rather be than right here uh, with, with my, with my son. I miss it. Um, I, I, going back to what Aaron said about March 13, 2020, it's a day I won't forget. Aaron, you and I and the rest of the team were sitting at a pizza place when the NBA canceled. Um, we went to the, the Colorado Springs 
uh, training facility and we knew what was going on on the surface and didn't realize what was about to happen to the world. Um, and then that postponement, you know, look, at the end of the day, I'm very, I'm very happy that I, I'm spending time with my family more. And we talked about my youngest daughter walking when I was in Pyeongchang. And, um, but I do miss it. I miss the work. I love the workload. I love the experience. I love, you know, the collection of things that we get from little pins that I, that I have here. And I'm going through a move, so I don't have all my stuff, but I, I do miss it. And, and I wish I could go. Um, I, I couldn't go because I left an NBC station and in order to cover the Olympics, you need to be an NBC affiliate. And I'm now working for a national organization that doesn't have an affiliate. Um, so that's why I couldn't go, but I would have, I would have loved to have been there. You know, yeah. You mentioned um, missing your daughters. I mean, for all of you, family is one of the reasons, right? Lex has a new baby yeah. as well. Aaron, two daughters. Um, I also think about the other side of that coin, uh, being a working professional, Aaron. And I wonder what you impart to your daughters when you do go cover the Olympics. I mean, do they talk about the Olympics? Do they talk about maybe wanting to be Olympic athletes or maybe wanting to be a reporter? I mean, I wonder about that. What, what do you leave them with because you are doing something that's incredible like this at five and seven right now um doing quick math they were you know one and three five years ago in rio and three and five or two and four math is not my strong suit um right now it's it's literally about the collection of stuff that i bring back because we're <laughs> I guess. And, and i go and again going through a move i was able i found i, I bought a curling pillow which was the hot item in Pyeongchang. I've got the mascots from Rio um, in a stuffed animal form and they will have that. They have the bracelet that I gave them, but really it's the future. And, and I think Lex and Aaron will agree. It's building on as they grow an excitement and a passion for the Olympics. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen my daughters in a while. Again, we're going through a cross country move, but I sent them a Team USA Hello Kitty shirt that they're wearing while watching gymnastics. We enrolled my oldest Avon in gymnastics while the Olympics is going on. Great. So yeah, so part of that is the future of what we did. Mm -hmm. So Aaron, you would go, sounds like Aaron Cargow, you're, um, you're cool being here. I'm cool, I'm cool at Latico. Now with an older child, I think it was the baby aspect of it that I just couldn't, couldn't fathom uh, you know, leaving a baby. Yeah, that's a big one. And Lex, you gave us a no right off the bat. So I'm wondering, you've been talking yeah, about Yeah, so I mean, part of it is the circumstances. I loved the work at the Olympics. I actually love, I love shooting video. I love doing interviews. I love being in the field. So I really enjoy that element of it. And I'd love to do that again, but I'd love to do it when families and fans are back around. Yeah. Although, I mean, the team that's there currently is certainly going to have an experience unlike any other. Um, but yes, part of it was because of uh, my family, although I do want to keep the door open because I think to Aaron Nolan's point, it's a great example to set for your kids that you're that you're in the game, that you've been selected to do this very cool thing, that you, you know, you're like a cool mom. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'd like to keep the door open to it um, in the future, but I'm I'm fine with my decision that I'm and it's, it is exciting, you know, to Aaron Cargill's point, to see someone else from your team who's very deserving get that opportunity, who's at a better point in their lives to do it. 
Yeah. That's great. And I know that Aaron Cargyle has been texting also with uh, Candy, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah, we had a picture of her earlier. So Candy Rodriguez, who works at the NBC station here in Austin, got to go at my place and she's bilingual. And for the first time ever, she's doing live shots for some of the next star stations. I think at least a, a couple, maybe more Telemundo stations. And that's historical for next star. So th there's no way I could have achieved that. It is I'm retweeting everything she and the rest of the next star reporters are putting out. It has been so fun uh, to follow them, uh, to understand some of what they're going through, not everything. And something, Aaron Nolan, you can speak to as well, the summer and winter games are very different as far as workload because the winter games ha have much fewer athletes. And, in, and I was covering um, doing live shots for Texas Next Star Stations, and there's even fewer winter athletes uh, from Texas. And so uh, summer games is a lot more work uh, in keeping up with all of the athletes in your, in your market and, and all the action. And so the workload itself is just a lot more. It, it, it is. I mean, there is a lot of going on uh, at the summer games. And to your point, um, there's 330, if my math is right, medal events or medals given out, something like that uh, in Tokyo. And I, that number wasn't that high in Pyeongchang. Um, but it didn't change the workload. It didn't, it didn't change the long walks to the commissary that, that Aaron and Lex and I made each and every afternoon. Uh, just to get something to eat and, and then chasing stories and wherever that is, um, there's still long days. So I, I don't want you to sell that short, Aaron. It was still true. Despite whatever was going on. True. You guys are still, you know, Lex was talking about how she loves to shoot. Lex is so talented when it comes to all aspects. So don't sell yourself short, guys. You were tackling that better than I was in Rio for my first games. I promise you. Well, think about the, the different things going on around the clock. You've got, so you're, we're churning out an X number of packages as a team. So those are airing on all next star stations. Plus we've got to deliver live shots for a dozen plus stations a piece, give or take. And now there's such an emphasis on digital and there's a digital show that's going on uh, that's airing on everyone's social media. And so, and the, the reporters are trying to push out content on their own social media 24 seven. And so that is where you're just working every minute of every, of every day on something. And Paul, I don't think we really addressed, you had asked something about why they choose people who can be a one man band or be an MMJ. Um, and Aaron Cargill sort of alluded to it, which is they wanna maximize the team there. But I did also wanna point out that part of having everyone on the team be on air and be a photographer and editor is that you, I would say most of the time, and maybe you guys would disagree, but wouldn't you say most of the time we acted as each other's photographers? And sure. just, I mean, you're hardly ever on your own. You'd say like, hey, can you come and shoot this stand up for me? And then I'll go here with you and you coordinate your days. And that way you really maximize everyone's skills and maximize your material. Except when Aaron Cargill was too busy to shoot a stand up for me because she wanted to watch the day show. Yeah, I believe that ever happened. That Aaron so, so Aaron Cargill, we got to be careful with our Aaron's Aaron, here, yeah, right? I know. I say Aaron and they both look at me like, yeah. So Aaron Cargill, you know, you just mentioned and you kind of threw out um, supporting the next star chain. No small achievement there, right? Because next star chain is currently the largest station group Huge in the United States. Yeah. Stations in more than 100 television markets in the United States. So I get, you know, if I have the job, if I'm lucky enough to go cover the Olympics for 
you know, a station. That's a really big deal and a really big job. But how do you do it for 112 stations in 112 markets simultaneously or 113, whatever the number is that, that Nexstar is up to or was at when you guys, you know, covered the Olympics? Changing out mic flags. Yeah, how do you do that? I mean, how many live shots are these individual live shots or the one group live shot that everybody rolls on? I mean, what, what are kind of the mechanics of supporting a really, really, really big group of stations? Um, there were a lot of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> we had a huge binder of materials. You contact each of your stations. Um, I had FaceTime calls with each of the anchor pairs that I would be talking to and then um, researched athletes from their states. So I would just go through list after list of um, Olympic hopefuls. And then as that got narrower and narrower, I'd choose some, you know, you'd find one from each of the states that you were going to represent and then try to contact them, contact their family members, say what's the best way to get a hold of you when you're here. And that way um, you asked if, if they were group live shots, they're not, they're all customized. They're all individual to each station, um, just one after the next rotating out and rotating the right legs out. Um, and so that's the start of it. And I don't know if you either Aaron wants to address. Well, I will say that Lex is a, uh, a czar when it comes to mic flags. I'll never forget her lining up the mic flags each night for our morning live shots, half a world away. She had it all down. It all comes down, guys, to knowing as much information as possible. And ironically enough, I have my notebook here from Rio uh, and Tokyo, uh, and I have written down in it not only athletes, but news directors, phone numbers, email addresses, everything I can think of in order to find that information uh, just at my fingertips. So the prep work, the year in advance, when they ask us, you know, a year plus, and then we start meeting eight to six months before the games, the prep work in there for anchors, like the three of us were at the time, uh, there's a whole nother level of job opportunities and job responsibilities that we had to tackle in order just to prepare for the hundred plus live shots that we did while we were in Korea. Yeah, there's three words, market one sheet. Every time we would yeah. meet as a team, uh, Jerry Walsh with the next star would say, have you done your market one sheets? And that's basically a, a one sheet where you're figuring out who are the anchors I'm gonna be engaging with? What are the names? Let's set up FaceTime calls. Let's get to know them. I would make sure I was following all of them on social media. So they would share my stuff. I would share theirs. Um, and, and that's just getting to know the the news uh, news teams that you're going to be working with. Uh, yeah, the Olympic hopefuls, because a lot of these teams, uh, a lot of the Olympic athletes aren't even, they don't even qualify till a month out, but you've got to be building relationships with those athletes and their families uh, leading up to the Olympic games. So when they're in South Korea, in Tokyo, you can text them back and forth, that access to them is vital to build those relationships. And especially for the Tokyo team now, because they're counting on Zoom calls, being able to jump on a Zoom call or a FaceTime with those athletes before and after their competition, because that's that's what, what they've got to work with at this well, point. And, and Aaron, to that point, not only does it prepare you for the live shots there and for the workload there, those relationships that I built for early in the Tokyo when we were preparing, and into Rio, I still text. I was still texting athletes this week. They were on the ground competing in Tokyo. So that relationship building, that networking, is vital. And it's not again. It's not just for the prep work, the actual work of the games. It's for the future of what could be storytelling. 
Yep, absolutely. Wondering about technology. So Erin Nolan, you were in Rio and Pyeongchang. And I know mm -hmm. that South Korea has blazing fast internet. Mm -hmm. sure. um, so internet really probably wasn't a problem there, but I'm also wondering about Rio, um, how that compared in terms of technology. And Lex brought up the point that technology is always getting better. I think she said that, so things are getting smaller. Um, can you can you all compare, Erin can definitely compare between Rio and Pyeongchang, but tell us about the technology changes. You don't have to name names, but I'm just wondering, you know, what was useful, what was difficult? Well, on in, in both locations, five years ago in Rio, three years ago in Pyeongchang, um, I think you know the software we use to, to upload our videos to station groups around the country. You're welcome um, to say that. You away. can say that by name. <laughs> oh, oh, do you want me to say thank you, Latiku, for being there? And we had, you know, Korea does have blazing fast Wi-Fi. It was there was no problems. Um, there was a little bit of connectivity issues in Rio, but it wasn't as bad as you would expect. The other issues that we had in in Rio. Um, were, were really not in the workplace. So we were able to get a lot of the workflow done. I mean, there was some security concerns in Rio. The building that we, the, the hotel that we stayed at wasn't really finished. Um, so there were other issues. Um, and, and Lex mentioned the travel that was, you know, I remember sitting in a bus, uh, in the luggage rack in a bus, just because I wasn't willing to wait for another bus because I was so tired to get to my hotel. And so I sat in the luggage rack just to make it the 30, 40, 50 minutes back to where we were staying. This so real, but when I called Pyeongchang Cushy, it was compared to that. There was <laughs> hotels and like security issues. It was locked down. Although Aaron Cargill and I did sit on the bus steps one time because of the same issues. Yeah, yeah. So that they had in common. So last but not least, uh, we want to talk about some of the lighthearted moments because while you worked hard, you also had a lot of fun. And I understand that we have a photo and some pictures that need some explaining. Explain it. What's going on here? <laughs> That's the second time we've seen that food photo of Aaron and we heard about uh, him not being so willing to try a lot of the... Uh, uh, exotic foods over there but uh so in the so we guys we haven't even talked about destination south korea um so it's not like you get there and have a few days to relax and prepare when we got to south korea we i think the next day or two or three days later jumped on a bullet train and went into seoul and had to shoot an entire show called destination it was called destination south korea i believe uh stories about the culture, um, the political climate, the food. Uh, and that's where this photo on the right hand side of the raccoon happened. I did a package on the raccoon cafe and Jack Doles, one of our team members and I went into that cafe and shot a package and I couldn't find the video, but that raccoon took my hat off and I screamed pretty loud. And it was a, a fun and, and frightening moment all at the same time. And, and don't, don't think that, that Aaron Cargill sitting there saying she drew the short straw. She had been scheming to get Ads. to the raccoon cafe yep. this is what she wanted more than anything else <laughs> the biggest story of my lifetime <laughs> yes uh my my picture is of traditional korean barbecue and this is we just ordered the barbecue and this is everything that came out with it um and we were stuffed at that point but again we were in the in seoul trying to find something to eat trying to find different stories literally shooting and talking to people as often as we as we could to fill content 
There's also all the Olympians and celebrities you got to meet. Um, Aaron Nolan, Aaron Cardoff yep. wanted us to ask you about a bet that involved this upcoming photo, there it is, of you and Lindsey Vaughn. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there was a bet with the station that I was formerly at in Little Rock, and I mentioned during my live stuff for Little Rock that Lindsey Vaughn was next door and at the Today Show, and my buddy um, said, all right, here's the deal. You get a selfie with Lindsey Vaughn, I'll give you $1,000. And I said, I said, you, I, all, I remember this as if it was yesterday. I just said, thumbs up. And within 30 minutes, I found her. I said, Lindsay, look, I got a buddy who's going to give me a thousand bucks if I get a picture with you. And she goes, what do I get? And I go, I'll split it with you. I took the picture. He sent $500 to the Lindsay Vaughn Foundation to, do to donate it. And uh, I, I took the other 500 and put it in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bonus. yeah. So there goes the myth that news people don't make any money. Hey, now. Hey, now. That, that was a gentleman's wager. That's I, I, thought he I thought he donated all, it all. <laughs> Stop it, Aaron Cargill. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was all the times that we uh, almost burned down uh, the Hollywood squares, which is where we stood uh, for our live shots. That was fun. That was Lex Gray's fault. They gave us a heater in these sub-freezing temperatures, and Lex Gray decided to put it too so close to the carpet. I don't, your fault. That was my fault. I was just going to say something nice about you, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that Aaron Nolan was the best at getting all the like celebrities and the big names. He was very bold, and I was sort of like, I don't know if they want to talk to me. I don't want to bother them. They have other things to do. And he would just walk up to them, grab them and pull them over. So that- Well, that's that's Adam how Adam Rafon got up there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a product of Aaron Nolan. He was on the Today Show. I was hoping to get him after a big win for his hometown station. And um, Aaron Nolan, he agreed to do it. He was very gracious, but the timing was so tight that Aaron Nolan sprinted down to him and- this guy, this Olympian comes running up to our little box in order to say like, hey, to his hometown. So that was awesome. And Aaron was always, Aaron, Nolan was always really good about facilitating that kind of stuff and, and getting in there with everyone. So. Okay. So maybe I did burn down the. So take the it back. Yeah. yeah I, maybe that I don't me. know who burned it down. <laughs> if it was me, I, I don't think I would have burned down the wall because I was always huddling around it. I would have burned my. Job. That's true. <laughs> it was the coldest. I grew up in Minnesota and went to college in Wisconsin. And my first job was in Northern Wisconsin. And I have never been colder than I was. Oh my gosh. That's that was another worry of mine was the temperature before we left. I was very concerned about being able to work in those uh, cold temps, but it was fine. I was sweating, carrying so much gear. <laughs> Well, Aaron Cargyle, Aaron Nolan, and Lex Gray, we appreciate your time for giving us a peek inside what it's like covering the Olympics. And for those who've been joining us, thank you. We hope you learned something and we hope you'll join us again for our next How the Story Got Made, episode three coming your way in early September. We will have a group of reporters, including Latiku's Luke Hanrahan, walk us through what it is like covering some of the most recent and devastating natural disasters. And you know, this is going to be great for our European audience because Luke is based in London and he covers news throughout Europe. 
I want to say a special thank you to our team who makes this possible, allows us to stand here and interview these great guests. Thanks to Ryan Emmons, our customer success director, Alex Almeida, our marketing director, and Aaron Cargyle, who joined us not too long ago from Nextdoor Nation. We're so happy to have her here, and she helped produce this segment for Sorry us. she's missing the Olympics, but so glad she's here. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much. See y'all later.